Hello and welcome to the latest Business Disability Forum podcast. Today we're going to be talking about monitoring. As always, we love to hear what you think about our podcast, so please do get in touch with us if you've got any thoughts or questions on media at businessdisabilityforum.org.uk or you can call us on 0207 or you can tweet us at DisabilitySmart. So I'm joined here today by my colleague, Kim. Hi there. Kim works in our advice service. I'm Charles and I'm a senior disability consultant here at BDF. So Kim, uh, as I mentioned, we're talking about monitoring today. Can you just give us a little bit of a, a summary about what monitoring actually is? Sure. So on the advice service, it's something we get asked about a lot, actually. And how people typically approach it is an activity to basically identify the proportion of different people that work for them. For us, it's around diversity data, in particular disability data. But for me, if you're asking me, um, I see it as more than just a statistical exercise. Sorry to all the statistics nerds out there. Um, It's about really understanding the people that work for you. So it's not just gathering information. It's about people. It's about the identity of your workforce, essentially the people that are driving your organization forward. So as we know, there's a really strong business case for diversity. Um, and I think data monitoring is really about understanding your diversity, the diversity of your organisation, and building that evidence base for improvement. Okay, so just from working on the advice service, do you get a sense that this is a, an issue or a question that a lot of our members and partners are interested in? I think so. More and more people are coming to us and saying, we've noticed from our latest survey that our disclosure rates, as they might call them, and perhaps we'll come on to that, our disclosure rates are quite low, or we've been looking at the wording of the question, can you give us any tips? And quite often we'll be talking about it almost from a communications point of view and and how to really look at the language they're using around disability. But we do get some more tricky and, and quite interesting questions, which we like. We love to be challenged, and people might ask us about should we be monitoring adjustments or should we be monitoring barriers or when should we be monitoring and all kinds of more tricky and and complex things come up. Okay great it's really interesting hopefully we'll touch on a few of those points later on in the podcast so keep listening. Uh, All right so you mentioned quite a lot there about what monitoring is but why do you think organisations actually monitor? Um, I think Possibly for quite a few reasons. Um, The one we hear about the most is people saying to us, we want to know how many disabled people are working for us. And I think that is almost something that should be questioned a little bit. And I should probably start by saying that at the beginning of any monitoring activity, you really should be identifying why you want to be monitoring. You should be establishing those principles. And we often ask people, well, are you just looking to establish a benchmark or how will this data actually be useful and meaningful to you? Can you use it to look at engagement? Will you be able to use it to identify any barriers that exist? Is it going to help you in improving your adjustments process? So this is stuff that's really important to think about because it essentially guides the question that is then asked and the way the data is handled, all of which are quite important. But I think It's important to think, and we've been having a little think about how useful data monitoring actually is. I don't want to, in a podcast about data monitoring, start saying it's not useful. Um, I think it does have a lot of value in an organisation. Yeah, I think there are things to be aware of. So, I mean, often I find people use uh, monitoring as a 
way to kind of monitor the success of any kind of operations that they're doing or to like if they're if they're for example mm. targeting more disabled people to get them into jobs they'll, they'll look at monitoring as a way of uh, establishing if that's been successful or not i do question that though because i think the figures can be misleading because not everyone's going to tell you that they're disabled and actually it might lead you to think that something that you've done hasn't been a success actually it might have been a success because maybe you've made everything incredibly inclusive and uh, barrier free people don't need to tell you they're disabled so they don't yeah i think it was interesting one of the things we were talking about um around this is that the, there's maybe like a sort of irony in the fact that if you're an organization who's actually really great at disability people may not want to identify with that definition that is often used in monitoring activities and it depends really I suppose what we end up coming down to is monitoring is really about how people identify mm. and some people may identify more with the barriers they face some people may identify more with an impairment they have now if you've been great at removing barriers that's going to check a lot of people off that list I think yeah so I wonder if that sort of brings us on to really we're looking at why we're monitoring and what we're looking to establish part of it I think is is how you ask that question yeah. and what you're actually doing um, and this is what we're contacted on most often on the advice service I'd say people looking at what they should be asking how they should be wording it um, we still see a lot of people using the legal definition of disability in monitoring activity do you have any thoughts on that I think that I mean the legal definition is useful it's a good it's it is a definition it's a good place to start and it's often where a lot of people where a lot of organizations feel comfortable like with operating within that legal definition framework it's set out for you but I do think it's limited I think that it's not as uh, expansive perhaps as you might want to be if you think about like actually the range of impairments that could possibly be covered within that uh, definition a lot of people with those impairments might not actually think that they are covered because it's yeah. quite a, a it is quite tight I suppose in certain ways but, you know, for example, things like maybe back pain or uh, epilepsy or asthma, people might not assume that, that, that those fill the criteria set out in the legal definition. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, it comes back to me putting a bit of a communications hat on again and saying, look, at the end of the day, you're asking this because you want people to be able to share their information with you. So you want people to identify with the question you ask. We get a bit of feedback about using the legal definition in monitoring activity and people tend to say it, it comes across as complex. Um, it might sound like a, a bit of a funny thing to say, but generally in surveys, if you're presented with a really long question, do you want to spend the time figuring out what it's asking and, and deciding how to answer it? Probably not. You might just skip it or maybe that's just me. Um, but essentially, people don't really tend to think about their identity in these legal terms. So with the monitoring activity, you've really got two issues. It's firstly, people actually identifying with that question you ask and then taking that step to respond positively to it. So we really recommend making it as inclusive as possible. As, as Charles said, kind of think about the range of impairments or conditions that that could cover. Use other language, use other words. Um, really try and make it simple every day. Get people to say, yes, that's me. Do you have any examples of how that question might look? Yeah, we tend to say, as you may have been able to figure out from listening so far, scrap the legal definition for a start. It tends to be the only diverse characteristic in which the legal definition is used. 
um, and ask something quite simple like do you consider yourself to have a disability or long-term condition and then give some examples maybe give some examples of ones people may not commonly think of for example asthma a back condition like you said or other ones that people may not realize are covered things like cancer or mental health other things like that so just really getting people to broaden their understanding of how that might apply to them and then of course it is absolutely that individual's choice whether they want to say yes no or prefer not to say but at the end of the day you're still raising a bit of awareness that moves us away from a really rigid legal definition yeah and do you think that people are more inclined to share that because it's quite personal information really, yeah, isn't definitely. it do you think that people are more inclined to share that type of personal information if the survey is anonymous or if it is named so you've got to kind of if it's attributable mm. to one person that's a really interesting question um we tend to anecdotally at least hear that people are more likely to share if it's anonymous but something that organizations are doing a lot of nowadays is integrating it into an hr system or having a self-service payroll type of system and there's a good reasons for doing that it means that if you're gathering this data you are actually going to be able to use it to track certain other activities and remove barriers, as we say. The data may not be that much help if it's anonymous. However, um, I think it's interesting to look at the reasons why people do share. Um, one of our associates, Kate Nash, a few years ago did a piece of research called Secrets and Big News. Um, it's quite well known, so hopefully people listening will have seen that already. But she asked disabled employees who had shared information about themselves why they'd shared. Um, only 1% said that it was via a staff survey. Mostly people share because they needed an adjustment. Um, and I think people are probably more likely to share if they see why they're being asked to share. They see the importance of sharing. And it really does bring us back to why are we doing this in the first place? Mm. People need to understand why you want their information. Otherwise, they'll say, well, that's that's my personal information. I don't, I don't see why I should be sharing that. Yeah, so it goes, right, it goes back to the kind of upfront really clear messaging that you're yeah. putting around any questions that you're asking particularly um, if it's personal kind of potentially medical information that you're holding for people so i suppose you need to be clear about why you're asking for that what you're going to do with it how it will be stored all those sorts of things yes definitely so there, there are certainly legal matters to be aware of not not just kind of communications matters in terms of how do we encourage people positively to share that really does tie into data protection principles so with the data protection act and then from may 2018 with the general data protection regulation bit of a mouthful um people need to kind of know what you're doing with your per their personal information why you're gathering it how and where and for how long it will be stored um, and they need to be informed of this in as much detail and as explicitly as possible. So we often say to people, it's not just about the question you're asking, it's about all the communications and the information you're providing with that question. How do you give people the information they need to feel reassured and to meet your legal obligations towards them? And so you mentioned there that you might, so if, you, if the information wasn't anonymous and it was, for example, held in a payroll system, are, do you think there's any risks about asking information about people's, the nature of their impairment mm. and attributing it to their name? And I'm thinking specifically about your duty to make reasonable adjustments. Yes, definitely, Charles. So like we said, there's not just going to be the matter that any information about health or disability is classed as sensitive personal data. It will also mean that an organization's duty to make adjustments will kick in. So if you're asking people whether or not they have a disability and it's not anonymous, 
Um, as listeners may know, once you know or can reasonably be expected to know that an individual has a disability, there is a duty to make adjustments for them. I would say there's a duty if they need if they adjustments, need them, yeah. of course. But what this means for the monitoring activity is it wouldn't be enough just to have that information that someone had a disability and, and not to then check if they actually do need anything. After all, if one of your aims is to remove barriers, surely it makes sense to have a process following up to check actually if people are facing any barriers. So what we do recommend, just because this isn't about monitoring for adjustments, to be clear, it's about how the activity ties into your adjustments process. So we recommend including information about who to contact if they have any questions about adjustments, maybe linking to your guidance or policy, um, having some contacts that people can get in touch with, and maybe even if this is going to work with your process, making it clear that individuals will be followed up with by someone in HR and all the consent issues and matters around that. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's yeah, build, having a robust process so that if people do tell you information like that, then you're able mm. to follow it up. And I think a lot of I think a lot of organisations struggle kind of linking in their adjustments processes, which are often triggered by an individual kind of maybe going to the line manager yeah. or something like that, versus maybe like a, a survey, which feels almost quite removed from that process. So it's about building that in and making sure there's yeah. robust links if, you, if you're going to re record information in that Definitely. way. Definitely. I think the interesting thing there is how you said it feels quite removed. Mm. I, I would almost argue that the whole point of monitoring is that it shouldn't be removed mm. and it should be tying really closely into perhaps the work you are doing, um, your understanding of disability in your organisation. Um, so the anonymization matter is, is an interesting one. Um, and I think when the general data protection regulation comes into force next year, it'll be interesting for us to look more closely about the principles within that and how that can apply here. There'll be a new concept called pseudonymization, for example, which um, is similar to anonymization, except it means you may be able to link data to individuals while still affording them a certain level of confidentiality and protection. So okay. certainly interesting things on the horizon. That is interesting. I mean, personally, my view is that I would always advocate anonymous recording mm. and then allowing people, for example, if you want to track the number of disabled people who are progressing through your organisation and getting promoted, maybe ask again at that point how many disabled applicants are applying for a more senior job mm. internally and then recording it that way rather than charting an individual's progress through the organisation by them telling you they were disabled at one point in the past. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's interesting. And as as you kind of talk through that, we can see that there may be other flaws. For example, people's identity changes over time. Mm. Um, disability is not a static thing. Barriers are not static things either. Someone may get promoted into a role where suddenly they're doing something quite different and mm. they don't face barriers anymore. So I think it's not just a question of why we monitor and how we monitor. It's a question of when we monitor too. Yeah. I think that's the thing people might acquire a disability later on in their career yeah. as well. So again, I think it is just useful to kind of keep checking those barrier points. And it's also useful as well if you are doing an internal recruitment exercise and you want to track the number of disabled employees that are applying for that, you can actually check if and when disabled people are getting filtered out at a certain point in your process as well. Yeah, definitely. And we say that can work not just for kind of internal re recruitment, but also for um, recruitment activities such as guaranteed interview schemes. Mm. If you're, for example, offering people who indicate that they're disabled a guaranteed interview, do they then get a job offer afterwards? What's the acceptance rate for those job offers? 
do things like that. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's it is it, I think monitoring is useful for those those things, but I think it just kind of be aware of maybe the limitations we talked about earlier that it might not be a completely accurate snapshot of all the applicants you're oh, getting. Good. good. I'm glad we've come to some sort yes. of agreement on that. <laughs> so one of the things we often get asked then on the advice service, aside from how do we even ask this question or how can we improve how we ask it, is how do we improve the response rate? Only 1% of people last year told us they had a disability. We know from national statistics that actually it's more likely to be around 21%. How do we boost that? Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Charles. In terms of like getting a better response rate or improving the response rate you've got, I would maybe say things like just checking all of your messaging is, mm-hmm. is good and positive. I would say perhaps thinking about... Um, the training that people who are involved in collecting the data get. Okay, so one of the things I find uh, gets the better response rate is actually really reviewing all the messaging you've got about the data. I know we've touched on this quite a few times Mm. already, but I think having really positive messaging, maybe talking about what you've done with data in the past and how that has improved the workplace for disabled people previously, any success stories that you can celebrate Mm. as a result of collecting the data is all really good. Um, and just being yeah, just being really clear about what you're asking, and also giving like a really broad definition of uh, disability as well. Mm. One of the things I have heard, uh, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this actually, mm. Kim, is organisations setting targets for themselves. Yeah. So not actually just kind of, oh, we're at one percent, we want an increase, but saying we actually want like five percent, ten percent. Yeah, I think this is this is a really interesting and, and possibly a slightly controversial topic um, because targets get a pretty bad rep from what I've heard. And um, I guess, like we say, if you want to set targets, that's fine. But it's important to be aware of the limitations with those, just like we'd say about the monitoring activity itself. Uh, we do hear of organisations setting targets. The risk, I guess, with targets is that often they're not met. Um, so it's important to look at, at how the targets are set and, and what that target means. Um, we sometimes get asked questions, for example, on what targets other organisations are using. And aside from the fact that that's not information we're privy to or share, um, targets are very individual to an organisation. And sometimes I'm slightly suspicious of this cross-organisational benchmarking activity where an organization might have a very specific culture and a very specific way that people feel able to share and the way that disability is communicated about and the target for one organization may mean something totally different in another organization so I think what I would say on targets is understand that you want to improve um, and set yourself a reasonable time scale for doing that improvement but don't worry too much about the numbers, really, at the end of the day. Focus on the culture, mm-hmm. focus on the practical stuff, look at the barriers, look at the adjustments, and look at how this activity ultimately ties into everything else yeah. you're doing. And I think that was a really important point you made there about kind of different sectors having different mm-hmm. cultures. So I know that when I was uh, working with some law firms, I think you know their average is pretty low, like mm-hmm. particularly city law firms. I think they may be getting like 1%, 1% or 1.5, something like that quite low whereas compared to the civil service i think they get a substantially higher declaration rate maybe yeah. about five percent but don't quote me on that that's okay <laughs> i won't i think it was around it's around nine ten percent all right okay great 
But yeah, so I think it is just like really looking at the nature of your organisation, the culture. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe it's also looking at the type of people you're recruiting as well. Yeah. And think about what will people respond to. Um, going back to Kate Nash, because this was really an excellent source of information, secrets and big news. A lot of people say that they won't share because they're worried about the repercussions. Well, look at kind of your organisational culture. Do you have an environment that's been created that suggests that if you're perceived in any way to be facing barriers, that it would be a problem for your career or your progression. Um, and maybe there is some additional groundwork to be done to kind of challenge those preconceptions and to look at how you can be perceived as the wonderful and supporting employer that you are. Um, so it's in terms of improving the response rate, I think a big part of it is going to be how you frame yourself as an organization where it's okay to answer yes to this kind of question because sometimes apart from the issues around it being very personal information people just don't really feel comfortable sharing that with their employer yeah definitely so now you've got in so say you've got lots of information about uh people's uh, impairments and uh, disabilities what you know what do organizations generally do with that type of information what do you do next with it yeah well um i guess i'm a in favour of something that I've only recently in my head started to call active monitoring. Um, and it comes back to what I was saying at the beginning about it's not just gathering information, it's understanding the information, it's, it's using the information. Um, so organisations might use this information to look at things like, as we discussed, recruitment barriers or progression barriers. They might look at take-up of training. They might even look at formal procedures and grievances and things like that and understand if any issues are clustering in a certain area and perhaps there needs to be some work done to address those. I think no matter what you do with it, there are two things to be aware of. One, when you're asking for the data, you need to be very clear what your aims and outcomes are and how it will be used. And two, you need to decide what what those areas are that you're using it to look at. It's not a static standalone activity. Um, and this is where I could, I guess, could sort of appeal to... Um, the wonderful statistics nerds again and say look at things like analytics value chains look at um, that kind of activity around all the other data you're gathering it's not just about getting the information it's about the an analysis you do with it the insights you gain and then the actions you take based on that yeah and i think as well it's important if you are taking actions as a result of data monitoring to tell people what you're doing and like how it's positively changed things because i one of the things that used to really always get on my nerves when I was asked to do engagement surveys or to complete them as an employee was you'd tell people all this really valuable information and then nothing would ever happen. Yeah, it disappears off into the void of yeah. the HR system. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it can really help cement that activity and build on any good work you're already doing. Um, people will like to know that what they've said has been listened to. They'll like to know that anything they've told you has been taken into account mm. and where improvements are actually able to be made. That's just going to build a more positive culture and organisational round, I reckon. Yeah, great. So we've covered quite a lot there. Um, have you heard of any organisations who are doing monitoring particularly well? Um, yes, there, there is one example that, that springs to mind and one we like to talk about a lot just because they are doing really well I think I should caveat it by saying they're not just doing the monitoring activity well they've really made great strides on the culture and communication side of it which is why the monitoring has gone well and that would be channel 4 television so they have a diversity charter which they launched a couple of years ago and they were aiming as 
one of the aims within this charter to increase the diversity of their workforce. Um, how they did this, though, was to create a campaign encouraging staff to share their data. And they supplemented this with a number of films with staff with disabilities and really got everyone talking about their stories and their experiences and made it a much more human kind of activity. Um, they did actually set a target, given that we were just talking about targets. Um, their target for 2020 was 6% of disclosure rate. Um, they found that actually in 2017, earlier this year, the, they had 11% of people wow. declaring. So they'd already beaten their target for three years' time. And I think that just goes to show how targets sometimes maybe don't mean all that much. And it really comes down to the communications activity and culture you build around it that's what's going to make one that's go, what is going to make people want to come forward and say yes that's me yeah i really love the idea of kind of having real putting real people's faces to the stories yeah. as well you know it's a really nice uh, concept and i think i've seen that in a couple of other organizations as well particularly the networks being involved and they've had kind of um, people sharing their the story about being disabled in that organization i think that can be a really powerful tool yeah great well, I think that's our time just about up. So thank you, Kim, for all those thank you, insights. Um, as I mentioned at the start, please do feel free to get in touch with us. If you've got any questions about what we've spoken about today, any comments, any thoughts, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at media at businessdisabilityforum.org.uk. You can call us on 0207 or tweet us at disabilitysmart. <laughs>